Hello, feely humans. Welcome to another episode of recording this podcast in my living room while Jessica, my life partner, is being a silly, silly, silly pants in her chair while she's working on her school, her dissertation, just stressing out about life. She's giving me the middle finger now, which is a form of love. Any hoozles. My name is Known Wells. I am the creator of this podcast, Yumi Empathy. I'm also the founder of the Feely Human Collective, where we collectively grow our capacity for empathy and vulnerability and emotional curiosity. Hi. Thank you for being here. This episode is episode 239 with Hannah and Kelty, uh, the creators of Upbringing.co. Hannah and Kelty are parent activists and child advocates. They are twins they are coaches. They are speakers behind, like I said, the upbringing movement. Uh, we talk a lot about parenting and kiddos in this episode. It's a lot of fun. I learn a lot. Hannah and Kelty are just uh, a depth, a huge depth, depth of wisdom. Uh, that's not the right word. Huge well of wisdom. And uh, I loved it. I loved every moment of it. And uh, I hope you love it too. We talk about. Uh, Hannah and Kelty's codependency as twins growing up. We talk about how parenting is like improv, shifting our focus from how children are behaving to how they are feeling, and uh, how kids are the original Bailey humans. Uh, so really wonderful episode. Really appreciate Hannah and Kelty for being a part of it. Just one uh, disclaimer. So first, the disclaimer, and then I have a content warning for you. So the disclaimer is that uh, I am not a mental health professional. I'm not a therapist. This podcast is not a substitute for therapy or medical treatment or diagnosis. I am a silly boy. I barely know how to dress myself. So please, if you are struggling, uh, there's a there's a um, a, a place to call nine eight eight. There are crisis text lines. Uh, you deserve love and care and nourishment and attention. Okay. And I'm grateful you're here listening to this podcast as well. Uh, the the um, the content warning is that I kind of briefly mentioned a a story. Uh, I was thinking about cutting it out, but I think it's important to uh, the episode. Uh, I briefly mentioned a story about um, my father uh, doing a, an abuse uh, to an animal in front of me, and I, there's no gra- It's not graphic or anything, but it's 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 a little bit shocking. And so um, that's the content warning. It's around the 40-minute mark. So if you want to fast, through, uh, fast forward through that a couple minutes, uh, please do that to, to take care of yourself. Um, and I'm sorry if it's too upsetting if you do listen to it and you don't hear this content warning. Um, it, was, uh, it came up um, just naturally. So any, that's the content warning. Any hoozles, um, please uh, follow the show on Instagram at Yumi Empathy and at Feely Human. Uh, connect with um, Feely Human. So I have a I have a, a membership community that I am launching hopefully in January, um, and I'm very excited about it. Um, we're already in there testing out stuff. Uh, so if you want to learn more about that and a place to be your feely human self and be seen as your feely human self, uh, connect with me. Uh, sign up for the newsletter is a, is a good way to do that. If you go to feelyhuman.co, you can do that. 
And uh, please support this podcast by leaving a rating and review. It does truly help out the show. And the last thing is, oh, the last thing is that the whole month of November, uh, the entire shop uh, at feelyhuman.co slash shop is 75% off the entire month. So um, really cute shirts and stickers and mugs and pins. So if you want uh, an early gift for, for Christmas, if you celebrate Christmas, Hanukkah, great gifts, 75% off. You just use the code end of year 2022. It's end of year 2022. And it's a good way to support me. Um, I think I'm wrapping up the shop for Feely Human. I, I don't know if the feature will have a shop. So please, uh, please check it out. Go to feelyhuman.co slash shop. Check that out. 75% off the entire month of November. Okay. I am I am just talking way too much, so I'm very sorry about that. Let's let's hear from Hannah and Kelty, the wonderful Hannah and Kelty of upbringing.co. Enjoy that right now. Welcome to You, Me, Empathy, the official podcast of the Feely Human Collective. On this show, we explore the struggles, the triumphs, the brights and the darks we face as humans trying to get by on this wondrous and overwhelming pale blue dot. The intent of You, Me, Empathy is to talk openly without judgment about our mental health, our neuroses, our shared anxieties and worries, to create a dialogue that is vulnerable and deeply human and empathetic and to share that dialogue with others to inspire emotional and cognitive collaboration and insight so we can, hand in hand, break down the stigma that make us feel shame and guilt for struggling, for feeling our feelings, for being feely humans. Yumi Empathy is a brave place designed to inspire the beauty in each of us because each of us in all of our kaleidoscopic parts makes up a magical whole that deserves to be seen Today, I am doubly grateful to be here with twins, mothers, parent activists, child advocates, and founders of Upbringing. It's Hannah and Kelty. Hello. 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 Happy to be here. Happy to have you here. I don't often have two people at the same time on the show. Uh, I've never had twins on the show, so this is a first. Very exciting. Since you listen to the show, you know we start with an emotional check-in. How are you feeling? Let's start with you, Hannah. Mm-hmm. Feeling grateful to be here. Grateful mm-hmm. for uh, the breeze. It was such a tender breeze on our walk this morning. So mm. that's where I am right now is just feeling tenderized, I think, and just happy to be sitting here. I feel a lot better after the little intro you <laughs> gave. I wish I could hear that like every morning when I wake up. You can, you can. <laughs> 
No, but like live like this, oh. if he could just hop on Zoom and and say it, that would be ideal. Um, Happy to do it. I'm feeling a little bit like emotionally frazzly. Uh, our kids' free school is doing a field trip today, and they're going to a mall to ice skate. And I just, I think I kind of stress about one of my kids in particular being on trips in the wild, crossing streets and mm. those things. So I'm trying to just kind of tend to my frazzly edges a little bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What is, what is that kiddo like? Are they, do they tend toward like being a little wandery or sensitive or all of the above? Definitely not wandery, uh, very sensitive. Mm. And yeah, so I think that if they end up feeling dysregulated, they'll sometimes would just run away. So mm. yeah, and I think the chances of that happening are probably very low. And I yeah. ask the people that they're all with immensely, but I'm still, you know, feeling it a little bit. Yeah. 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 Well, as you know uh, very well, this is the work you do. It's like you honor the fact that like you're feeling that that's valid and they're safe. And you know the fact that you trust the people they're with, honor both of those things mm-hmm. the best you can do, right? Mm-hmm. You know, then and, and it's hard, right? It's hard having our kids out in the wild or yeah. our people out in the wild. Mm-hmm. Or even our pets. Our you pets, know, you know, sitting in the discomfort of, of these feelings, which come up with, with me too, but mostly for Kelty mm-hmm. has actually had the the benefit of helping her understand why she feels that way a little bit, what those real fears are from, or what that, that real experience may be, um, be informing, you know, as far as like experiences with dogs, 10, 15 years ago, runaway dogs, runaway dogs, interestingly kind of connected to maybe runaway kids. Oh yeah. All my stress dreams are like dogs running away, off leash kids running away. Mm. But Mm. you're reminding me of, um, I don't know if you know the musician Lisa Hannigan, but she has this great song called safe travels. Don't die. And it just like lists all of these like really hilarious um, kind of interesting ways that somebody could die. It's, but yeah. it's a good song. <laughs> it sounds, it sounds good. It sounds good. <laughs> How are you? How am I? I, I am feeling, I'm feeling a bit overwhelmed. It's kind of a loaded word nowadays. And I, I think I overuse it. <laughs> <laughs> I I've had a headache for four months, everyday headaches. And this is new for me. So I'm trying to kind of sit in that and understand and remind myself that it's not forever. You know, that old sage of wisdom, you know, as, as people who experience mental health or mental illness as someone who has major depressive disorder, it's, it's a, it's a skill I've learned to remind myself I am feeling this today, right? And it may not be tomorrow. So I've 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 learned to say, okay, my headache is here today. It may not be tomorrow. It has been the last four months, you know, consecutive in that way. And it may not be tomorrow. So I, I've been trying to kind of uh, remind myself of those things. It's been hard. And um and I've had very beautiful, bright moments. I, I recently went backpacking up in Northern California. That was really 
nourishing. Got to commune with Mama Nene in some beautiful ways. Um, connect with Jessica on a little walk with our one of our dogs and our horse last night. That was really special. So feeling good about that. Um, trying to find my footing again. I, I recently kind of got pushed out of a day job in some kind of dehumanizing circumstances that made me feel not very seen. And so trying to find my footing again. Um, and I, I feel like I'm getting there, which feels good. Sorry yeah. that happened. Yeah. Past, past, present, future, all the things. Mm-hmm. So it's a big ask to, to get used to a headache. That's mm-hmm. a big ask. Yeah. I know. Do you ever experience headaches? Uh, the few times I do, I just, the whole headache, I'm so grateful because I don't get headaches very often. So that's what mm-hmm. I tend to think of as like, wow, this sucks. <laughs> I'm so glad I don't get these all the time. Yeah. I've had chronic pain issues and, and things like that where yeah. it's it's really tricky business to to stay afloat during all of it. Mm-hmm. You know, you, the way you yeah. tie in the idea of pain with the idea of feelings, because I don't always hold them together. Mm-hmm. Like there are a lot of feelings tethered to to being in pain or being uncomfortable too. Mm-hmm. Trying to think, hold them like the weather. Yeah, I was going to say temporal, literally uh-huh. like temporal, mm-hmm. just kind of stormy, come and go. Yeah, my friend Kate Flanders says, how is the weather in your mind? Which mm-hmm. every time I sort of think of my feelings or my pain, my physical pain, I, I think of that. Um, and it's helpful, right? Because mm-hmm. it is temporal. It is passing it is temporary uh it's wavering you know it's not forever we humans tend to it's so human we tend to get in a thing and then we think it's forever because it feels like forever because it's hard or whatever it's our comfort or it's our protection and uh and that's not the way the world works as you know, your parents, it's, uh, there's nothing that's uh, set in stone, so to speak, mm-hmm. right? We try for there not to be. But, yes. Yeah. I mean, that is like, I mean, maybe, maybe that's a little bit of your ethos is like, let's not, I mean, let's disrupt this stone a bit, right? Mm-hmm. So I do want to, I do want to get into like the work you're doing now, but I, I am also very curious about how you two were raised like what was your childhoods like mm-hmm. i mean i definitely would identify it as us having a very similar childhood and so we usually speak in the we about our childhoods and mm-hmm. little by little we discovered that there are little eccentricities and nuances and small memories that are unique to each one of us but i feel like pound for pound mm-hmm. i mean experienced pretty similarly pretty similarly yeah mm-hmm. Um, but our, uh, our childhoods was spent early days in LA in our great aunt's garden mostly. Um, and then we moved up to Portland, Oregon when we were how old? It must've been five, five-ish. Yeah. Five-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were raised by our mom and our dad and, uh, it was just, just the four of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think we think on our childhoods fondly. Mm-hmm. 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 There's a lot of empathy there. Mm. Yeah, a lot of gratitude there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of nature time. Mm-hmm. 
mm. little, little codependence, you know, mm-hmm. sure. <laughs> yeah, some, some stuff we're teasing apart nowadays, less in our, the parent child relationship, but more mm-hmm. in our, um, in our partnership relationships with our husbands mm. uh, mm-hmm. expectations yeah. and, and then these twin expectations that I think were, were built uh, in our childhoods. Since we spent so much time mm-hmm. together, we kind of co-created this very and kind of safe and meshed equilibrium where we would balance each other out. Mm-hmm. Our parents were there to support us unless we were angry. <laughs> and then, um, and that kind of developed over time. And so then, then we, you know, branched out and brought in new partners the last 15 and 20 years. Um, and it's been interesting to see what stays the same with Kelty and me, you know, with relying on each other and, supporting each other. And then what areas of that we've been able to kind of parcel out to our partners and what areas did not work offering or expecting from our partners that we had to be like, Oh, back to the, the twin twin mm-hmm. zone there. Yeah. And yeah. connecting that all back to our childhoods. It's yeah. Really interesting. So fascinating. Yeah. I can see how, cause childhood, whether you have loving parents secure safe home or not it could be hard right it can be scary whatever uh it's a tough time to be a child right sometimes right and to be a twin right and the expectations right of that societally culturally i'd imagine maybe i'm projecting this but i i'm curious to hear maybe what i'm hearing you're saying is like some codependency between the two of you as uh protection or getting through stuff and then as you sort of like start to grow into your own selves you start to you know come apart and tease that out a bit and explore that what are like help me understand like maybe some moments in early childhood where you would sort of like all right we're a team let's like get through this thing Mm. as a codependent twin team Oh yeah. I mean, I mean, our parents left us to, uh, to our own devices most of the time. So we were pretty free range kids. Um, and so we did a lot of projects stuff together, made books together, did all the, basically the stuff that we do today. We just did in our kid way as a little mm. kid. Um, but our parents struggled sometimes to communicate transitions to us or upcoming changes. So one thing I can think of immediately was when they decided that we were going to move and they would kind of just tell us at this random moment or in this random way because they didn't want it to be a big deal. So they would tell us things that were a big deal in a way that weren't a big deal so that we wouldn't have a big deal about it. Yes. It always go so well. And then the way that would, would happen, I mean, Kelty and I are both very sensitive people, very, very sensitive. And so I agree, knowing that you were, that we were, our, our relationship has been a, an adaptive response to, to staying secure and mm-hmm. surviving and, and all those things. But so what would happen or what happened then was Kelty would get, she would express and I would kind of repress and balance. So mm. that was kind of our, our role. How would you describe it, Kel? Yeah. I mean, another example of that is if we're kind of up in the middle of the night getting water or something and one of us heard a noise, whoever said, what's that noise first? The other one had to kind of be like, what noise? It's fine. You know? Oh my God. <laughs> that's so balance. funny. Because two freaked out people, that's really scary. Who would we do? Then what would happen? Like, even if there was a noise, the other one was like, there's no noise. 
I didn't hear anything. We're good. We're good. Yeah. That's so funny. Yeah. I love it though. I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I have three siblings and we were, I mean, all so, so very different today, but there is like, especially in early childhood, there is a close closeness and an intimacy that you find in moments, even when you're in moments also like beating the shit out of each other. Right. Mm -hmm. There is like, there are moments where you're like, all right, we have to get through this together. And that's a beautiful thing about childhood sometimes, especially when in my case, like parents, not so good and parents, not so safe. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's why like, I, I really wanted to have you two on is cause like parenting is, I mean, part of my language, all language matters. Parenting is fucking hard and doing it in context of, or, or sort of with the ethos of dismantling systems, understanding that curiosity and softness and empathy and compassion and all of these frameworks that have been built up over centuries that we are in need to be examined and sort of pushed against. Um, that's what we're up against. That's hard. That's that's a hard place to be as a parent, as a child. I'm just grateful you're here and doing that work as parents, as educators, as teachers, as you know, Instagrammers, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> we're grateful too to be doing the work, and I, I like that you talk about that. Just the the work that it that it, it is to be pushing against these institutions to be challenging them, to be questioning them and how being a parent we think is so fucking hard because we're not pushing against a higher person in the institution of our homes. We are that person. We are the, the, the boss, the CEO, the politician. You're the quote unquote man. Right. And so it's really, it's extra hard to Mm. be the victim and the aggressor at the same time within the home mm. and then, and to, then to see that, that what we call that power and privilege played out with our kids, which is the last you know thing we want to be doing is, is perpetuating all of the things we're fighting for outside the home within the home. And so that's the pickle that we love talking about and love linking arms with as many people as we can around um, is, um, is thinking about all of this in a different way. And I, I love how you talk about feely humans because I feel like kids are the original feely human babies and kids. Like mm. they, they come out as perfect feely humans and, you know, leading with their hearts. And, mm-hmm. and that's what we're, we're working against is saying, we don't want to be parenting them away from that heart and towards, you know, another person's mind or another institution's mind. We want to keep that, that heart intact, you know, it makes so much sense. We, we call it the, what is it? Our inner wisdom and authority. inner wisdom and authority. That is, mm. that is the heart, the, the inner knowing, knowing the self. And then the authority is being able to communicate the self or meet the needs of the self and all of those things in conventional discipline are doing the exact opposite. They're saying no heart, no self. Let's look at others. 
and 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 framing that outside often, the person. Often with the the goal of um, raising an empathetic person too, which is mm-hmm. part yeah. of the big part of the pickle. Mm. Yeah. So how do we, you know, I, I agree. I agree. You know, we, we come into this world as like what I want to be as a human, a soft, mushy, open-hearted, like curious, let's listen, let's, let's explore, like all of this matters. How do you, I guess, start to disrupt that for kids? Like, how do we, how do we like, like if you're talking, I mean, I guess like if you're talking to a parent now and a parent is listening, they have a newborn. What's a first step? <laughs> I mean, right? at the beginning of our call, it's curiosity, mm-hmm. right? It's just getting curious and, and remembering that we don't have to know all the things and have all the answers and do it all perfectly. It was mm. never about that. That's a problem with yeah. the approach. Yeah, right? we've been we've been conditioned to think that our job as parents is to be civilizing our babies and kids, or be training our babies and kids, or be explicitly teaching our babies and kids mm-hmm. about um, essentially society and how to conform and how to blend in and how to operate um, out there. So I think that first job that pops to our head is socialization. You've got to socialize, got to let them know what's right and wrong and what's okay. And what's not okay. And what's a bad choice and what's a good choice and what's nice yeah. and what's not nice. Mm-hmm. And we think that's our primary job. And so whether those listening have an infant or a five-year-old or a 20-year-old, I think that if we could be switching our goggles from that socialization lens as our primary responsibility to that self-awareness lens and that continuing to help our babies, toddlers, kids, look inside, keep returning the conversation back to what's happening inside. Mm -hmm. That's where the real growth happens. Like you say too, people can't be empathetic for others unless they're empathetic for themselves. So that Mm self-knowledge isn't selfish. It's self-centered in the most beautiful way. Mm -hmm. Right. So that is true. And when we have influences, like there are big influences here, like one, capitalism, two, religion being one, right? Like these are neutral forces in the life. I mean, I would say capitalism is more of like a negative force, but that's my own personal opinion. But these are big like forces in the world. These are systems, right? Mm. That are contributing to, you know, conversations around right and wrong, right? Conversations around socialization and like do these things to achieve worth, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Like how do we, like those are like deeply ingrained. Yeah. I mean, well, and that's such a a question that it's all in the back of our minds, but like, how will they thrive? How will they fight against these systems? We have to prepare them for these systems by integrating these systems in our homes first. It's Mm. not the way it actually works. And so we like to think of our home as not this preparation school or etiquette school or whatever it is, Mm -hmm. but more of an incubator to say, can we support our kids in and nurture them in ways that through those, you know, emotional wayfaring, like you say, those conversations and those interactions and condition them to experience a world that's not our world yet, but that could be our world tomorrow. That could be our world someday. Mm. And that usually comes up that emotional wayfaring and all of the, that conditioning, right. Building those roots, those really strong roots so that they can have that resilience in whatever world they, they come out into, 
Um, that usually happens in the hardest moments, which you love talking about how the hard stuff's the good stuff. We yeah. love talking about that too. And that's the work we do with parents is saying, let's let's drill down to the, the big feelings and the challenging behaviors, because that's where all the magic is. That's where all the heart is. That's where the focus and the conditioning and the growth and healing can happen for us all and engaging in these ways that are not control-based, that are not shame-based, that are not oppressive and manipulative and harmful ultimately. Yeah. You know? um, and again, not doing it perfectly, but doing it alongside our kids in that way so that we can both be growing at the same time. So, you know, I think what is... I mean, you said it before, I think what is like, you know, I was just having, I mentioned before, before we got talking, I had a conversation with Dr. Jen Mullen of decolonizing therapy about how we valorize as a culture, like nurses and teachers and parents even, right? But the system like does not, the system like really does not treat them well, right? And I think about I think about how we sort of put these people on pedestals, right? And we raise them up. Mothers are a good example of this. Women in particular, right? Are a good example of this. And we raise them to these standards. And these standards aren't even the standards that we ascribe to. These are these societal like informed standards that are built on these systems that we don't even want to be a part of. Right. Um, I think about like, so I'm not a parent of human people. I am a parent of animals. I think about my rescue dogs. Right. And I, I take them out sometimes and we, we, my wife and I, we do a, we do a lot of work with our, we're doing a lot of work right now with our puppy. She's eight months. Her name's Ripley. And she's a lot of work. She's like very confident. And she's very happy-go-lucky. She was left at a vet. We rescued her like four months ago. We've been working with her a lot. And we want to like really honor her confidence and really honor her happy-go-luckiness and not sort of like... um we want to work with her, right? Like we, it's like a more natural, we're, we're building a relationship, right? And of course, because I'm human, there are moments where I'm just like, ah, just, you know, like, ah, you know, talk about those moments because those moments for you as parents, because those moments are important pieces of this puzzle, right? Mm -hmm whatever, if it's a puzzle or a mosaic or whatever metaphor we're talking about here. Yeah. I like that mosaic. I idea. love that you, you're already, your lens on your puppy mm -hmm. is that of trust and respect and looking to, to those behaviors and translating them in ways that are productive. So calling your dog confident and happy go lucky instead of mischievous and, you know, not listening, <laughs> which I think mm -hmm. that we do to our kids very easily too. We see these behaviors and we immediately see them as pathological, worrisome, bothersome, scary, unnecessary. And so those are all those beliefs. And like so much of the work we do is just is finding ways to flip those beliefs and to see um, the potential of looking at these little beings, whatever they are, in a way that that serves them and serves us in our relationship. 
Well, that would me. That would be me making it about me, right? That would be like, oh, she's doing this to me in some way, right? Like, why, why, you know, it's yeah. All of those judgments would be about you and your impression or the impact on you. And I think so much about what we talk with parents about. Kelsey can talk to this better than I can. Is this kind of improv act idea that we have with our kids, or with our animals, or with anyone in our lives? And I think the frustrations we have when we're like, God, why won't they just do what I want them to do or whatever it is, <laughs> is because we think we're the only ones on stage or because we think we're the ones who write the script and figure out the, the set design and we're the director, we're the producer, we're right. all the things. And, and then, then when they don't follow their lines, we're just like, no, no, <laughs> you're off script. That's not okay. You're supposed to sit or you're supposed yeah. to stay, mm-hmm. you're supposed to do whatever, mm-hmm. not eat that shoe or whatever. Yeah. Um, it's hard when our little kids like virtually tear the script up right in front of us. And they're like, no, I would never say that. That's not in my character <laughs> to do that. Right. And that's when the improv act can take shape and it can be yes. And, and it can be sharing the stage and like, like you work on so beautifully getting curious and getting empathetic for what their motivations are, what their needs are, what they're bringing to it, mm-hmm. how to make that balance and that juggle work for everyone. Right. And remembering who they are and what their freedoms are too. So we have a freedoms model um, on our website that we've kind of identified 10 freedoms that our kids have. But I would, I would like to say that animals have those freedoms as well. Mm-hmm. If they feel very universal to us or easily interpretable, um, but their freedoms like the freedom to nourish. So are, you know, eating in a way that, that fits their bodies and feels right to them, uh, the freedom to rest. So cleaning up or not cleaning up or going to sleep or not going to sleep, right? Um, The freedom to contribute also participating or or cleaning up things. Mm -hmm. Um, What are the freedoms? Feel, to feel obviously, Uh right? To speak. So to say how they feel and and what they want, right? Mm -hmm. All of these areas that we've been trained as parents um, or as owners to say, actually, I need to control all of these and actually not quite so much freedom in these areas because giving our kids or, or anybody freedom who we have power over can really easily make us feel like we're losing our own freedom or we're losing our own power. And so, so much about the freedoms model that we've figured out to help ourselves as much as anyone else is to, to help us realize that we can let go to let grow, Right. And that we can reclaim a lot of our own freedom and our own joy and our own liberation in the process of honoring our kids or our animals in this way as well. Mm-hmm. Does not mean chaos. So I also I always want to say that too. Um, where's your mind going with that idea? I wanted to ask Kelty about like a moment where you had to go off script with a kid. Mm-hmm. Again, what did like what did what was that moment like? Like what did they do? And how did that feel? Oh my gosh, it's it's the story of my life. No, it's like <laughs> I I am not in charge of what happens during the day with my children. I'm sure. nowhere near in charge yeah. at all, and it's been a, a slow reckoning, a slow um, ex- a journey of acceptance. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I feel better about it, and sometimes I feel worse about it. Mm-hmm. I love that you bring up uh, confident and. Um, go happy, go lucky dogs. And I was just having a conversation recently with a friend about how both of my rescue dogs, um, Boxer Bull Mastiff mix and Pit Lab mix, mm. were really anxious and aggressive dogs and were incredible training for me as a parent in honoring them, like you said. How can we mm. honor that? 
because work with it rather yeah, than, I mean, we it. all have this idea of what our dog will be or who our child will be. They'll, they'll be polite. They'll be sweet. They'll be the happiest dog at the park. They'll be the golden retriever that comes when I call yep. and, um, you know, follows right at my heel and just loves me and does everything I say. And everyone who has kids has that exact same assumption and hope. Mm-hmm, and, wish. Mm-hmm. and some people get that. Some people totally do. And most of us don't to a degree at a certain point through kids development, through stressors, through whatever it is. Um, and aren't we lucky? We are so lucky mm-hmm. because if we're, lu- if we're really lucky, we're able to look at those puppies, dogs, kids, as like you said, Hannah, opening up this whole world of needs, of boundaries, of trust and respect in relationship with someone else as opposed to the world going um, just as we, as we hope it will through our own personal lens and our own conditioning. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so beautiful and important. It's, it's really a moment to decenter yourself in the experience because it's, you're right. Like raising and rescuing dogs for me, these past 15 years and being in relationship with animals um, marrying into uh, a, a family, you know, my wife was like a 4-H babe, um, you know, uh, marrying into a family with anim- with horses, like we have two horses. Um, it's, it's really, I mean, certainly horses, you have to be exceptionally mindful of your uh, emotional state, right? Mm-hmm. Checking in on that. And then with dogs, right? You know, I, I've had to really check in on my own anxious attachment to control and like, what are you trying to control here? You know, and a perfect example of this is like, they go out into the yard, they create little mud mallets with their paws and they bring them back into the house. I'm like, can I control that? Can I let it go? Can I allow that to be for what it is? Because that's who they are. Right. It's such a simple thing. Right. And it's such a beautiful moment for me to like, can I honor who they are and allow it to be? And for me, it's like, do I need to, do I need to really, do I need to vacuum in this moment? What does that say about my own anxious attachment to like wanting to control my environment? Right. Mm -hmm. Like it's such like these are all like micro moments of reflecting on our inner worlds, outer worlds, you know, combining together. It's it's a I mean, staying open to that beautiful learning always. Our our little people and little animals are such catalysts towards, you know, self self awareness and self growth. And I feel like I mean, it's such a natural thing knowing that you, you know, we're all focused in our society to, to look at behavior and to, mm. to project basically what our needs are onto what people are doing or not doing. So it's all this invisible world of needs that we never understood as kids. So we just focus on other people's behavior in a way that can meet our own needs. Right. And so that's why we control our kids do that. Don't do that. Don't, you know, rather than say what you were starting to realize, what am I needing? Which is something very few people asked us when we were kids very few people asked us maybe in our schools or in our church or in our jobs, what are you needing? Right. All of those institutions as well are focused on what people are doing or not doing. 
right? Because that's how you measure productivity and that's how you make money, right? Mm. And so all of those institutions were re, redone in the home. And so none of the growth, none of that incubation, none of that root growing about needs and awareness happened. So then when our lives are a little out of control, right? With dogs running in and out, kids doing this and that, the things happening, we feel out of control. And so the only thing we know to do, because it was modeled for us in every institution in our world is to control. Or like you've been working on, accept and let it go. And so much of the work that we do with, with folks is saying, what can we do in between those? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Rather than controlling those are two, or- like letting everything go is a great option. If you don't want to over control, whatever it is, or freak out or punish or harm or any of those things, letting it go is great, mm-hmm. but we work on the kind of middle work. How can mm-hmm. the dogs do their thing that they're needing to do? And me meet my need too of not having mud in the house. Can we figure out a way to get their needs met and my needs? It's not them versus you, which is another thing we've been conditioned to believe that <laughs> someone wins and someone loses. Someone gets their way and someone doesn't or gets yes. punished. And I mean, again, it's breaking these these little people and and animals in our lives help us just totally dismantle that belief system and say because of the love we have for them, it shouldn't have to be either or, right? It can yep. be, and it can be all of us. We can figure this out with a little bit of, of work in that prefrontal cortex. Yep. Yep. World ain't binary. But again, that's the work. It's a mm-hmm. lot of work. It's a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel overwhelmed ever? Mm, we do. We, we feel over, I feel overwhelmed about things that aren't my parenting so much. Mm-hmm. And probably just because I work on my parenting and in my parenting. So I feel safer and more trusting in the process. So we always say, you know, progress over perfection, but I find myself um, feeling overwhelmed or anxious and wanting to to do things sooner or better in other areas of my life Mm. with my health. um, I have that belief sometimes, or even in my relationship with my partner, I still put a lot of those tropes and that binary thinking on our relationship And as I'm thinking those things, and as I'm even complaining to Kelty about those things, Mm -hmm. I'm thinking in my mind. What did you tell a parent if they were complaining about their kid this way? Right. I know that like it's there. It's all there. It just hasn't like integrated quite yet and transferred over. Um, So I'm trying to be kind with myself about it. Mm. You get overwhelmed still. You get overwhelmed. Yeah. Well, you do. Yeah. Kelty's kids are a little bit um, higher energy and higher emotion and more resistance. Yeah. Just more like, you know, just more have more of a, a chronic feeling day. Like we had one last week yeah. where I was just looked at Hannah and I was like, this just, I feel so fucking unfair. Like I just am done today. Yeah. Like I just had hit my limit. My kids were resisting everything. One was sitting on the car and refusing to go to the park and like on the roof of the car. And I'm like, it's, it's a park. Like, let's just go to the park. Wanted to stay in the car, which was not an option. Mm. And that was like on the way to the kids play, which my daughter first night of the play refused to be part of the play, Mm. which obviously it's like the dog park. It's like, everyone's there and watching and it brings up all this stuff, having other people watch your, your little person, you know, you know, doing their thing the way they need to. It. Yeah. It was a hard day. It's a hard day. Yeah. 
but it's funny. I look at Kelty, who is just such a superhero to me. And I think that that's what's so great about being in community with as many people as you can do who are doing this work is that you can see each other and hold each other in those ways. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I just feel like you can always do it. And it's so, it's so great. And you're so wonderful and you're doing an amazing job. <laughs> and so I don't look know. at you too. So sweet and loving. <laughs> I'm just happy when you're like, oh my gosh, that's ridiculous. When I like, validated <laughs> Well, we, I mean, the fact is we need each other and we can't do it alone. Oh, man. You said it. You said it. I mean, we're not individualists, right? Yeah. We're not. We're We've not. just been pushed into these little boxes and these little islands away from one another. And yeah. it's just, it. it is this hard and it shouldn't be this hard. We should have more support, all of us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pedestals of respect, not expectation would yeah. be nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this may be a little uncomfortable for you, but I want to throw it your way and see what you feel and think. So I was raised, I was raised by two parents who were a little mm, problematic in some ways, right? So uh, raised in evangelical Christianity. Uh, I've since left that space. Um, I don't think it's inherently bad. I think the way that it was presented to me was harmful. And the way early on that I sort of was in relationship to my father was pretty traumatizing. So my father was um, pretty emotionally and then at times physically abusive. Um, And and I wonder how, I don't want to say this. This is too much. I'm going to edit this out. <laughs> I was going to bring up like a, a story that my dad did, but it's probably too traumatizing. Um, too much trigger. Too much trigger. For everybody? Yeah, maybe too much trigger. Okay. Well, do you want to share it with us anyway? You can still edit it out. Sure, I'll edit it out. I was going to say there was this moment with my father where I was like nine, like eight or nine, where there was this stray cat. And the stray cat was like, so the way our house was growing up, uh, there was like a downstairs and an upstairs. And the downstairs was like weirdly, like partially submerged in the earth. <laughs> and that's why I have terrible allergies because we had mold issues. Us too. That's what, when you said headache, I was like mold. We're like on the mold. I'm on a detox right now. Yeah, but go ahead. Keep going. Oh my gosh. Um, But we, like my brother Tannen and I would, you know, we like let the cat in and my father came down the stairs and he said, take that cat out. Like he was allergic. Like he's like, you let that, you put that cat back outside. And we're like, oh, it's a straight cat. Mm -hmm. So like five minutes later, we, you know, we're kids. Of course, we like let the cat back in. And we're playing with the cat and five minutes later my dad said i told you he like storms into the room grabs the cat by the scruff of its neck storms like all the way upstairs i'm following him he like storms across the kitchen out onto the deck and like football throws this cat 100 yards into the air and i'm like witnessing this thing the cat like thankfully like you know it like 
hits the ground and like stumbles and then like runs off. But like seeing like a grown man, you know, he's probably in his, I guess, thirties at that point. Football throw a, a kitten. Like that was a moment in my life where I'm like, this man can do anything to me. I am unsafe. And so for the rest of my life, it was like, I got to shut down. I got to protect myself at all costs, emotionally, physically. Um, and there, you know, there was a lot of like weird, unsafe, scary moments after that. But I wanted to like, I guess, share that with you. You being in the parenting space, like, I mean, that's an extreme example, right? But like, do you ever come across like moments where you, people come to you with people abusing or, or having moments where parents are doing harm to their kids or things of that sort? Mm-hmm. Thanks for sharing mm-hmm. that. That must have been so much. Um, yeah, it to- was a lot. It was wild. Yeah. And then to just like hold, you know, those moments don't go away. They, they stay in our bodies, you know, for sure. Um, And our memories. And so I don't know if sharing helps you move past that, but um, we're always grateful to, to hear those things and to hold some of that for, for folks. And we do hear that with, with folks we work with from their own childhoods very often. Mm. And then moments in, in their current parenting that, can be relatively dramatic and Mm. that can also even be somewhat innocuous, but that can trigger that really deep kind of trauma moment that they had from, from their childhoods. Mm. And so we have a lot of folks who come to us who are like stuff, like what I'm seeing and what's happening doesn't seem that bad, but it feels so bad. Sure. Um, And, and I think that a huge reason for that is that when you said in your mind that this man isn't safe, I think that what you were coming to feel was this world is it safe. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that that's the power for better or worse that we hold within, in our relationships with our, with our kids is that kids learn by the way we teach. Right. And they don't just learn the lesson we had or the little bit of information or our intention. Kids learn by what we do in a space with them, what they see and feel and experience and yes. go to the deeper lessons. So they don't learn about cats. They learn about power or they learn about um, going yeah. against power. They learn mm-hmm. about how to use power or how it feels to be in, in relationship with that power. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that we we try and ha- has been a big reckoning that a lot of folks we work with come to and has can actually create this, this big change in their parenting because they realize, oh my gosh, they're learning about themselves relationships and the world through this parent-child blueprint. Like this is a, a, a relational conditioning about greater beliefs than just the lasagna or the cat or the bedtime or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Mm-hmm. They can take these instances and shape them into their worldview, essentially. Um, yeah. You know? I love that. I love that it's not... It's not my father sitting me down and saying, these are some lessons about life, son. It's about me being witness to how he acted, Mm -hmm. how he treated my mother, how he treated us, right? Mm -hmm. How he would rage or whatever, right? Like it's how he acted, what I saw, what I was witness to, Mm -hmm. right? 
It wasn't yeah. just the script. It was the stage direction. It was the lighting, the, mm-hmm. the, lighting, the action, right? Mm-hmm. So much yeah. of how we learn as humans and how little animals learn too is not explicitly at all. You know, it's it's implicitly. It's not from the top down, from the, the brain down, which is what what folks have believed for how many centuries? Who was it? Socrates convinced everybody. I can't remember now, but it's forget from, about it. But it's from forget about it. Just another white dude. Yeah, but it's from the body up. That's how we actually learn about things somatically, mm-hmm. and so that goes completely against the conventional parenting wisdom that we're supposed to just teach explicitly. We're supposed to explain. We're supposed to reason. We're supposed to use logic. We're supposed to be repetitive lecture. and we're, mm-hmm. we're supposed to lecture and then we're supposed to um, control coerce. and coerce, you know, mm-hmm. so it's, it, that just seems so natural to us. Even our schools and our institutions and everything are based on this top down mind over matter approach. And again, that loses sight of the heart, right? That loses sight of, of the body that loses sight of the experience and the action and the implicit experience that we all gain. Right. Yeah. Thinking about how we all learn. I mean, how do you learn how to cook an egg? Do you really learn how to cook an egg from just reading directions or having someone tell you? You learn by doing it. You learn by yeah. cooking it, undercooking it, dropping it, you know, <laughs> scratching the pan, doing all the things. And kids yeah. learn that way too. And they yeah. learn so much from us. And that's why we don't have to do that much. Realizing the power can feel scary, but can just be more than do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <sighs> That feels good. So speaking of feelings, I I want to talk about big feelings. What is a big feeling? Like what is a big feeling moment in one of your kids' lives? Well, I would imagine they probably have lots of big feeling moments that we have no idea about. Sure. And that's yeah. something that Hilti and I knew from a very young age because we experienced big feelings all the time and we didn't share them very often. Yes. And I relate. Yeah. To think that we would necessarily know all of our kids' big feelings um, is an interesting idea. Not that you necessarily assume that, but, but I just, it opens up the world of like, wow, we know so little about their experience. And again, the more we bring them on stage and make it a safe place for them to share those feelings, the more of those feelings we can hear about and, and support. But big feelings, oh man, yeah. I think that at least for my kids, and this is why we focus so much on it at upbringing. My kids' resistance is the the root of their big. It's not the root of their big feelings necessarily, but it's what we see. It's the sign. It's the roadmap that there's mm-hmm. something going on there. They're mm-hmm. feeling something. I don't know what it is. They're needing something. Don't know what it is. But saying no mm-hmm. is one of the first ways that they're able to to communicate that that something exists there. Mm. Well, that's the, that's the the beauty and the, the mm. challenge with kids is that they know they feel, but they don't necessarily know what they feel or why they are feeling it. Mm-hmm. And so we know all of the what's as people who have more developed brains and more experience, but we don't know that it's happening necessarily. And so, so much about the parent-child relationship is bringing us together to say, we're kind of two sides of the same coin or two pieces to the puzzle mm-hmm. of they have a need or a feeling or an experience. And then we get to help them figure out what that is, why that is, and how to get that supported. Mm-hmm. And so it's a very tandem thing that we just aren't taught to, to look at in that way. Um, you know, and I think a lot of the work we do is helping parents identify 
what their kids' communication language is about their feelings and to flip the beliefs that they've been conditioned to, to put on those, those judgments. Mm-hmm. So some folks we work with have kids who whine a lot and complain a lot. And that's how they just express their feelings. Just like when a baby cried, we tell these parents, it's just like when they were crying when they were a baby, they're needing yeah. something. And it just is really, really annoying to you the way they're communicating it, but it's their communication style. So let's get on board. Mm-hmm. You know, another child like Kelty's will say, no, 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 no. And that is their, their beautiful current communication language based on the skills, their environment, mm-hmm. their experience. Some kids right? ignore, right? That's also having a feeling, right? But mm-hmm. I think that like we brought up earlier, uh, we're so conditioned to focus on all of these things as behaviors instead of a representation of a feeling or a need. Mm-hmm. Right? And so mm-hmm. it does help parents a lot to flip that and say, what are they feeling and what are they needing? Because they weren't even seeing that. It was, we talk about the kind of <laughs> choppy waves of the behaviors. They're not listening. They're yelling, they're whining, they're, they're running ignoring. away, they're ignoring whatever they are and putting our little goggles on and going under the waves to try to find out what that feeling is, what that need is, Mm -hmm. because the more that we're doing that with them, the more they're able to do that for themselves, the more they're able to do that with others. And the practice allows us to start doing that for ourselves as well, Mm -hmm. or with other people in our lives. It's, Mm -hmm. it's one of those things that some folks who we work with have started that journey themselves and they Mm -hmm. haven't quite pivoted it to the parent child relationship. Mm -hmm. And other folks we work with have never considered what their needs are or built that, that inner wisdom, like we talk about and in, inner authority. And so it's the first time they're doing it side by side with their kids mm-hmm. and being like, Oh God, let's figure this shit out. I have no idea. You have no idea. Okay. <laughs> and mm-hmm. giving themselves grace in that process, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what's an example of like Kelty, let's say your kid is ignoring or, or says no, 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 no. Mm-hmm. do you say anything or what do you say to try mm-hmm. to like, okay, they're feeling something you're recognizing. They're feeling something you want to maybe encourage them to acknowledge that feeling or, or speak up about that feeling. What do you say? Mm-hmm. Depends on what the situation is. So yeah. if it's a strong need that I have that they do something or stop doing something, mm-hmm. then I'm more likely to engage about it because I think I don't know. I think I was noticing this. Sometimes people try to get my kids to name their feelings when they're feeling upset mm. and it's not a good time for them to be being prompted to, to communicate dig deep on what's going on for them. So I think more, more often than not, I hold space and I'll just physically and emotionally and just say, okay, I'm hearing that you are needing this or you're not wanting to do this mm-hmm. a little more about that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or, come, or what's going on or yeah. what are you needing? Mm-hmm. Right. We basically run what we call the resist approach, which is a loose six step model of like a nonviolent communication model of respecting our kids for resisting or having feelings or refusing to do something being or them. just being them. It's <laughs> our so, like reality check. Oh yes. It's another human being. Right. And we empathize. It seems like you're not wanting to, we just try not to project too much, but what I'm hearing is, or what I'm noticing is, or seeing you're not wanting to move to the car whatever it is. It's safe. It's safe. I'm honoring what I'm seeing from you first or it's so hard when X, Y, Z that can be inflammatory. So sometimes it's less Then we sync up. Okay. It sounds like this. Now I'm going to say my concern is, or what I was needing is like we have to get to school. Yeah. we got to get moved to school. Or if we can't get to school by this time, 
you know, you might miss the first hour of the meeting that you usually like, or reality check a little bit. I have a call that I need to be on with Nani. Um, So just floating that out there after I've kind of talked to you about what you might be needing. Mm -hmm. And they may know that already. Right. So sometimes I'll just be like, because you know why I'm kind of in a hurry. Mm -hmm. Restating it over and over and over, which is our tendency. (laughs) Um, And then we'll go to innovate, right? And say, what can we do? You're wanting to stay or you're not ready to go or whatever it is. And I'm needing to get going. What can we do? And that's the discomfort where we have to just sit in that stage of nobody knowing what to do and everyone wanting different things and needing different things or not sure what their needs are. Mm. That's where we tend to just move right to the control approach mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. We have the threats, the consequences, the shame, the physical moving or mm-hmm. those types of things. And so this is where it is uncomfortable to resist, literally resist that conditioning and that urge to just get through the situation, make it feel better. Right. Yeah. It's like the, I want the golden goose now, daddy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like that now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but and then, it's and then, kind of amazing what things can come out of Yeah, that. totally. Mm-hmm. And that's us offering ideas. Well, do you need a little bit more time? Or maybe once you finish that part, or can I give you a piggyback ride there? Or I was going to run to the kitchen and get this. Do you think you'll be done when yeah. I get back? But honoring, or, the, honoring the obstacle, like that the yeah. obstacle is the way in that, in that way that's saying, there's a reason why. And instead of just railroading you and pushing you into using my power and privilege against you, I want to help you understand yourself in this moment. This is a great opportunity to understand why you don't want to go and to learn why I want to go. And then to figure out how to get both of our needs met. It's it's an investment. We can't always take the time, but yeah. then we move into the summarize, step, summarize where yeah. sometimes we have to set a limit, especially if it's like a physical thing. Like I, I'm going to have to help your body off that ledge or whatever it is. It's unsafe. We've tried to work it out and we can't do it. Or we might just circle back to the beginning at that point, because I'm not going to force my kid's body into the car or drag mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. They're still trying to figure this out. Sounds like this. And we just try it over and over again until we can get everyone's needs met. Sometimes that's taking a step away um, and coming mm-hmm. back and then trying again, or, you know, in the, our step of the resist approach is also checking our own needs. Does this have to happen right now? Does it have to happen in this way? Does it have to happen in this place? whatever it is. And I think just cycling back to the end of the approach is T for trust, trusting that this is okay. Competing needs can be a safe space. None of us grew up that way. Competing needs was scary. Competing needs was dangerous. Our needs were probably never put before anybody else's because we had less power and privilege. Mm -hmm. So remembering that all of these moments of competing needs Um, running the resist approach, failing our way through the resist approach, screaming, dragging bodies around is okay too, right? And we're going to apologize. We're going to circle back. We're going to file that away for next time, ways that we might want to show up differently, Mm. Mm self-regulate, chill out, (laughs) let go, go back to the drawing boards for a new plan, right? Mm. Woof. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. And what is so important about it and it's very clear to me is that you and the child or the kiddo, the little human throughout the whole experience, you're, you're learning together. You're growing and learning together and that's never changing. And that's always happening. And what I have railed against in the past on this show is this, Weird societal norm. I'm sure you've bumped up against it where uh, we do this thing. Oh, they're kids. They don't understand. Right. 
well, they don't understand. They're small. We, you know, you'll you'll get it when you're older, right? Oh, it's so damaging. So I love, I love that your approach is about we're in this together and we're learning and growing together. It's beautiful. It's important. Yeah, it's. A, I mean, it's a fundamental respect for another human being, and mm-hmm. and if you respect human beings, then you have to take the time to meet their needs as much as your own. And I think that's why it's a very convenient thing to say is they don't understand and they need to be controlled because yep. that ensures that the person in power continues to get their own needs and agenda met. Yes, right? and so yes. we that model. even if we justify it in terms of teaching or whatever mm-hmm. it is, yeah, right. The parent knows better, yeah. <laughs> Mama knows best. I want to like punch people in the face who wear those t-shirts. Mm-hmm. I get really worked up about it for sure. Well, it's very peri- patriarchal too. It's very, yeah. It's all wrapped up in that. Yeah. Well, but it's in this, it's, it's moved into this like feminist, uh, you know, like feminist culture. So it just feels True. very hypocritical to us. Yeah. <laughs> they're just adopting the, they're the adopting language. the patriarchal yeah. language, which mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. parent child dynamic, when, as they said, they're the man. So yeah. I mean, this, this idea of allyship, right. With our mm-hmm. kids, mm-hmm. allying with them teaches them how to ally with their mm-hmm. own emotions and needs and with other people's emotions and needs. Mm-hmm. And it's new to us. It's new to them. It takes a little bit more time, but we always tell folks that, it's an investment that quote unquote pays off and pays off as in shoes don't always get put on or sometimes still late to places, but our kids, again, their worldview is shaped in a way that feels really good to us and to them. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's the whole goal is that, is that worldview that, that allows for, for you always say safety is like the, the crux of everything. Mm-hmm. And in that, that relationship of the resist approach or working through a challenge or big feeling, we're creating safety that can allow for growth, trust, curiosity, joy, all of these other sure. things mm-hmm. that none of those would be able to exist if we controlled our child in that moment. Yeah. So it's, it's a kind of a cool, magical thing. It's a radical act. It's a, you know, it's not something we can do every day, but, and it's again, not one more thing on top of your parent to do. Yeah. List, when you were like, but... that's a lot. <laughs> Sounds like a lot, but it's actually so much easier than controlling and dominating. And it feels so much better. Mm-hmm. I think it's mm-hmm. like we pointed to earlier. It's just tearing up the whole script yep. and just feeling our way through interactions instead of that top down, have to say this, then I say this, then you do and say this. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's liberating. Yeah. It's really it liberates liberating. all of us. It's liberating. I think that's the word. And it's what you said before Kelty too, which is like, letting go and then finding space in between where I'm allowing for them to get their needs met and allowing for me to get my needs met. Mm-hmm. It's right? scary though. It's, it's a trust fall. It's for, for a lot of parents that we work with, they're like, it's like letting go. And it's just like a black void. And I'm, I'm terrified by this. Right. So we always suggest to start in the small moments, the ones that aren't like when you're about to miss a really important call or when they're on that ledge or mm-hmm. when something else you, you're needing to see to a baby also. And it's just high stakes moments. Mm-hmm. Practice in those easier moments and get started yeah. with those to build up those skills and that confidence and the awareness, and the awareness mm-hmm. so that those will start trickling into the tougher moments in the middle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Love it. Love it. So what is... What is exciting? What's next for upbringing? Like, what is what do you have on the horizon that you're working on that's filling your hearts up? Mm, we're working on a course, and we're working on a book. Yes, nice. That's exciting. 
When I say working, I mean, we're talking about it a lot with our business life coach. I mean, (laughs) that's working. We're we're crying about it. We're walking about it. We're talking about it. We're dreaming about it. I mean, that's all, that's all part of it. That's all part of it. The course is like the makes the most sense and mm-hmm. will be fun and, and needs to happen financially uh-huh. and it'll free us up a bit. But I think that our hearts are really where we they were, you know, what, 35 years ago mm-hmm. when we were making uh, little books together and scheming and dreaming and drawing and writing. Mm-hmm. Um, that's our happy place. And I think that that's why it feels so good to engage about that. It just it's just blissful. It makes me feel mm-hmm. so happy and optimistic and mm-hmm. just at peace um, in those moments. Yeah. So I'm holding on to those. That's the next thing though, just more tangible yeah. upbringing things in the world to support people. Yeah. Yeah. Course makes sense for you too. Absolutely. And it could be, it would it be an evergreen thing. I think it would be. And then yeah. it might involve a community aspect too, because we've been wanting to get a community going and not, not have to fight against the algorithm and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. support folks. And the video too, for, for people, we have a lot of folks we work with who have partners who just you know don't read the same types of things and struggle to kind of integrate the content um, mm-hmm. in the same way that they do. So we're totally resistant to it or completely resistant. So uh, our, our hope is to make a video course that is accessible and entertaining and, um, you know, bite-sized and all of the things. Um, that's so fun. Excited. Yeah. That's cool. And what, in the book, uh, what's the general idea there? Mm-hmm. It'll be similar. I think the the course is going to be a lot of the, the how to yeah. do that resist approach and to support all those pain points. So we have like 10, time, 10 pain points, I think. Bath time, big words, big feelings, mm-hmm. you know, chores, resistance, siblings, siblings conflict, all yeah. those things. Kind of identified 10 main areas. And then mm-hmm. the book will talk about those, but I think we'll flip all of those 10 pain points to the freedoms, the 10 mm-hmm. freedoms that actually mm-hmm. those pain points are within. And that's why there's such opportunities to, mm-hmm. to lean into in a certain way um, that feels right. So Hannah wants it to um, have a secret garden theme. I do. <laughs> Love the secret garden. Yeah. Um, we've been listening to it on our walks. Yeah. Um, there's magic in me. Yep. There's magic so in good. me. Yeah. I'm like thinking in a Yorkshire accent like yeah. half the day now. <laughs> it's been very interesting. Yeah. Jessica um, and I had, I mean, if you couldn't tell by, we have books everywhere, but we had a book themed wedding. We <laughs> actually met 15 years ago on Goodreads, if you can believe oh it. Oh my gosh. gosh. Yeah, I know. Dating site. I know. <laughs> That's right. I know. Uh, she actually teaches writing and she's a community college English professor. Um, so real book nerds up in here. I oh, I've been like trying to ogle. Is that a Philip Pullman back there? There's a, there's a couple Philip Pullmans. Yeah. <laughs> Some Philip Pullman. Yeah. 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 I actually wrote, uh, I'll send it to you just, you know, if you're curious to look at it, um, trying to, I'm in the process of trying to get it published, but I wrote a picture book about feelings. It's feelings. Yes. Yeah. It's a, basically a picture book about big feelings. Wow. That's um, exciting. Your dear childhood me, uh, was just incredible. And I was on their shop recently and didn't see it there. So I was wondering if it, did it just sell out or was it? I did like a pre-order thing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I, cause it's, you know, it's, it's hard doing this thing by yourself. (laughs) It's funny. Like when I first started Feely Human, um, I guess it was two years ago. 
uh, I had a partner like right around the time I launched. I had this partner who I brought on board, a friend, and and she sort of dropped out. Mm-hmm. Um, mutual sort of all good. She just like, this is too much. I have to focus on my own freelance stuff. And you know, it's it's a lot to run a business. You all know that. We've and- with both of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, just having having two of us is still incredibly hard because mm-hmm. we're we're too similar, I think. Mm-hmm. It's tricky. It's a blessing yeah. and a curse. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, we would, we would love to support that. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's just a little reparenting journal essentially. Um, yeah. So I did a pre-order period. Um, I actually got, I picked up all of the journals. I sold about 150 of them, which I feel good about. Um, unfortunately the pocket versions, 90% of them were misprinted oh, just no. slightly off. Um, mm-hmm. but thankfully Denik, I think they're going to reprint them. So I have like, I'll have. I have like 60 pocket versions that I could either give away or, you know, mm-hmm. use as giveaways or whatever. Um, I mean, so a that, lot of us are slightly off and would probably benefit from those journals too. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Mm-hmm. Um, Exciting. And what else yeah. is new for you? you? I feel like you said podcast is changing up a little bit maybe and transition. Yeah. I So I was doing it weekly for four plus years and uh, recently transitioned to twice a month, um, which has been honoring of my time and energy. Um, It's felt better. Um, We recently started uh, an Airbnb. We have a little space above our garage and that's been a lot of fun. Um, We renovated it last year. It's Studio Ghibli themed. What's that? Do you you know Studio Ghibli? Uh-huh. Oh my goodness. As parents, I mean, maybe you don't show your kids film, but Studio Ghibli is a job is like the Pixar of Japan. Oh. Um, and especially Hayao Miyazaki is a Japanese Miyazaki. filmmaker. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So my neighbor Totoro, um, all, all of his, all of his films are essentially about, I mean, they'd be, they're right up your alley because it's they're about neat. dealing with um, the tension between uh environment and industry mm-hmm. um but i'm a huge miyazaki nerd and so the whole upstairs is um themed in those and our propane tank we're on propane here is totoro is the totoro oh my uh, gosh painted no i just painted. i'm not i'm totally unaware of the studio yeah but, that's um, what i had not heard yeah but miyazaki amazing i just got my husband the new coffee table book of him. Oh, yeah it's really beautiful yeah, I'll send you the Airbnb link uh, if you're curious well, to look we'll, at. We will just have to come and stay. Is yes. it, would it fit two very tall people? Absolutely. Yeah, okay. absolutely. Yeah. How tall are you? Like 6'2". Okay. Well, okay. Probably shrank half a little kids. bit. I feel like we're like around six feet. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It'll fit you. Because I'm six feet. It's, you know, it's, it's, it was built in thirties. Um, it's low, but it, it fits me. I'm six foot. Cozy. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah, it's cozy. It's cozy. But yeah, yeah, things are good. Things are good. I'm, you know, making things work, but um, let's talk about empathy heroes. This is the part of the show where we wrap up, <laughs> mention someone in our lives uh, as an empathy hero. Uh, could be a character from a story, AKA, you know, the secret garden. <laughs> could be uh, someone we know in real life. I will go first. Um, my empathy here this week is the aforementioned Dr. Jen Mullen. 
Dr. Jen uh, is on Instagram at Decolonizing Therapy. She is doing just tremendous work in the world of being curious about the systems of the mental health space uh, and sort of dismantling this idea around really like dismantling this idea around like that therapists have to be these uh, like worker bees really. Um, And just a a beautiful human that I recently recorded with on the pod and just loved the conversation, just nourished my soul. uh, And I really am grateful for her and that new connection. So if you all aren't following Dr. Jen, on Instagram, she's at decolonizing therapy. Go give her a follow. She is my empathy hero this week. How about you two, empathy heroes? Hmm. Oh, I think if we're heading toward kind of like a literary angle, that got me started. But I think, I mean, Anne Shirley from Anne of Green Gables is like my hero mm. in so many ways. Good she's one. a spirited child, and she's so empathetic for someone who who feels so fiercely. Um, she's so soft and understanding to the the plight of other people and Mm. what might be happening with them. And I feel like her imagination obviously is her superpower in that way. She can imagine anybody could act any way because it will take her on an adventure, even, you know, tiptoeing into what's going on for them. Mm. And then not necessarily wants to win everyone over with that, but I think it lends like that sense of empathy lends itself to making unlikely friends and relationships and connections Mm -hmm. personal personal and collective growth. Yeah. I've always admired that about Mm -hmm. her. Yeah. That's a great one. I love it. I recommend rereading the book. Yeah. I need to reread that. That's a good one. I loved, I remember loving the original series from the, what is it? Late eighties, nineties, maybe early nineties. Sullivan production. Yeah. Yeah. So good. The we Canadian one. The what? Was it Canadian? Yeah. Yeah. That one. Yeah. Good one. Anyways. Mm-hmm. How about you, Hannah? My gosh. So many people I'm inspired by and would want to list. I'm thinking like you mentioned earlier um, how you were talking about the, the pedestal for mothers and for women. And so I was thinking Angela Garbas, who just wrote Essential Labor. And mm. uh, Angela, Gar- I think it's Angela Garbas that's her Instagram handle. Um, but I'm just, I don't know. So many people are coming to mind. I don't know. Um, I've been following Lisa, um, Oliveira on Instagram recently, and, um, she's a new mother. And so seeing, um, just reading a little, and I read her Substack as well, and just reading her experience mm-hmm. and her questions and the, just the incredible amount of grace and she's giving herself and the vulnerability she's expressing in this like new time where, I mean, we're just unfollowing people constantly who are just portraying this new motherhood as just so unrealistically perfect mm. and mm. amazing. And, um, and so I'm just, just the, the words that she says, shares with folks. Uh, I mean, they, they impact me and I have an eight-year-old, a six-year-old and an eight-year-old. And so they've been helping kind of heal from from the past to the future back to the future i guess you could say and i've been appreciating her work a lot inspired by her so funny you mentioned lisa lisa's been on the show and 
Dr. Jen mentioned Lisa as her empathy hero just yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Oh, uh, nice crowned. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well worth it. Um, mm-hmm. So, Hannah, Kelty, where where can the feely humans out there connect with you two? Yeah, you can find us at upbringing.co. That's our website. Um, we've got a little shop. We, we're still doing um, small group coaching and private coaching through there. And we've got the podcast, which is a little bit on pause right now, the Upbringing Podcast. And then you can find us on Instagram by the same handle at upbringing.co. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, it was a delight to connect with you both. Thank you for being a part of Yumi Empathy. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. And to you listeners, as I always say, I'm here, you're here, we're here together on this wayward, overwhelming, awe-inspiring pale blue dot. We have each other. It's you, me, empathy. Empathy.